I'll tell you what, we're singing some dangerous songs this morning. Wow. You know, if you listen to those words and turn them into prayers, buckle your seatbelt. Good stuff. Thank you, Toddy and praise team members. We, uh, Sharice and I, we get a letter from New Tribes Missions. Oh, every, every couple of months. It's just a, uh, a letter that uh, tells us a, a, just a little bit more uh, personally what's going on and gives us a, a story that has happened in, in one of the, uh, the, the works among people groups in the world somewhere. And uh, this one started out this way. He said, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of being woken up at 3 a.m. In my experience, news that arrives at that hour is seldom good news. He says, so you can probably imagine what was going through Lawrence Loretti's mind when someone pounded on his door in the wee hours of the morning. He said, usually people wake us up because someone is very sick or someone has died. But as it turned out, it was good news. Kamalas and Bruce, two Menjin believers, the Menjin are a people group in Papua New Guinea, had been up all night with believers. They were visiting from a neighborhood people group. They were reading God's word. They were talking. They were praying. They were singing praises. Now Francis, another man who had opposed the gospel, showed up asking to know Jesus. And he told them that he had seen the difference in the believers' lives and he was especially challenged by what he saw. Kamalus and Bruce explained the gospel to him and Francis put his faith in Jesus. The two Menjins were so excited that they had to wake up Lawrence. Did you hear that statement? Francis, who had opposed the gospel, showed up asking about Jesus because he had seen the difference in believers' lives. Now that is fascinating to me. You know, in a different culture... On the other side of the world, someone shows interest in Jesus because of something that they have seen in someone else's life. That is a novel idea. I've read that somewhere before. Perhaps that sounds familiar to you too? Yes. You know, it's, it's that, it's that fruit-bearing thing that we are talking about as we have uh, been living in John 15 for the last couple of Sundays and a few Sundays to go, our summer series. So I'm guessing that maybe this fruit-bearing thing is supposed to work in any culture, in any people group, any language, any place. What do you think? So we don't just have the corner on it? Okay. All right. John 15. That sounds familiar, right? We've been in John 15. Okay, all right, just nod your head, I'll feel better. The vine, the branches, our heavenly fathers, the gardener. What I hope you took home with you last week was the idea that, that Jesus is, is talking about fruit that might be a little bit different than what we initially think of as, as fruit. Uh, remember Jesus' greatest passion while he was here on this earth? Anybody want to just shout it out? What was Jesus' greatest passion? The Father. Yeah, the Father. Doing the will of His Father. How often we heard Jesus say, I don't do anything, I don't say anything that I haven't received 
from my Father. And in that obedience to His Father, His Father was glorified. Jesus was saying, you are worth listening to. You are worth living for. You are worth exalting. And people heard that in Jesus' life at every turn. He said several times throughout the Gospels that he only did what he received from his Father. Those were his marching orders. And so we see as Jesus lives his life and and we watch him and, and walk through the Gospels and read his life, he is following the drumbeat of his Father. I think this is really important for us to remember and to understand because in our text, as you know, Jesus is describing himself as the vine and he describes us, his followers, as the branches and he's making it very clear, maybe uncomfortably clear, that the role of the branch is to produce fruit. The the, the purpose of the grape branch is to bring grapes. You know, people are only satisfied with pretty leaves for so long. And then pretty soon, they want to see what the grape branch was created to do. They want to see fruit. They want to see the grapes. And the fruit that Jesus is talking about is produced from a life that flows from the vine into the branches. Jesus is clear that his father is the gardener. And his father is looking for fruit. Father is keenly interested in fruit. In fact, he does things like like prune and cut uncomfortable kinds of concepts for us in order to see more fruit. Okay. So, let me ask you. What kind of fruit is the Father looking for in the branches? No-brainer, right? Good fruit. But specifically, what did we say was the passion of Jesus' life? Fruit that glorifies God. Fruit that glorifies God. A life that lives for God. A life that lives for God's glory and exaltation. If Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches attached to that vine, and the life of Jesus is flowing through us, guess what the grapes are? (laughs) Juicy. (laughs) yeah a juicy life that smacks of God's glory and exaltation and presence in his world we live and I know you get tired of hearing me say this we live in a compartmentalized culture as Christians that God belongs in this part of my life but not here God is present here but not here not according to Jesus Jesus is saying that when the branches are plugged into the vine, the life of the vine flows through them and they bear fruit that is consistent with the life that is flowing into them. And he doesn't give any conditions. Just says, this is the way it is. Branches that are attached to the fruit bear fruit that is consistent with the life that is flowing from the vine. Okay, let's stand. Let's read John 15, verses 1 to 8 again and uh, see what we can learn again this morning together. Let's read together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that do- does... Can you see? Sorry. Every branch that does bear fruit, 
He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Last week, I suggested to you that there is a fundamental 10-word truth that is woven throughout Scripture. It's really important for us to remember that truth. Anybody uh, recall? Go ahead. (laughs) That was Jill's paraphrase. It was good. It was... Can we put that on the screen, Sherry? Let's remember this together. We exist for God. God does not exist for us. Thank you. Go, Alfredo. (laughs) Amy Sue's over there giving him the elbow. We exist for God. God does not exist for us. That is so critically important. So, with that statement on the screen and in your mind, I want you to turn to a neighbor or two for just a moment and ask them, how does that truth, that foundational, what I think is non-negotiable truth, how does that help us understand Jesus' teaching in these verses that we've read about the gardener, his father the gardener, the father cutting and pruning and throwing away branches according to whether or not they produce fruit. See what your neighbor thinks. How does our understanding of we exist for God, God does not exist for us, shed light on these words that we read? How do we make sense of that? Go ahead, ask your neighbor, see what they think. Okay, how'd you do? Little feedback? What'd your, what did your neighbor say? It's always good to be able to blame it on your neighbor, you know? What do you think? Toddy. <laughs> no, don't quote your neighbor. <laughs> Next. <laughs> what do you think? Does it help us understand that the pruning and the cutting activity of the gardener? How so? Someone? Don't all speak at once. Jill? Talked about the fact that all the rotten things that need to be pruned out of us Mm. are slowly but surely being pruned by God in our lives. And those get thrown in the fire. And hopefully good 
branches and good leaves and good stuff and good fruit grows out of it by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Can't do it ourselves. Okay. We have to keep tasks. Good, good, good. The rotten things you were talking about, is that just apply to you? That is what I do. It's not <laughs> Great. I am so relieved. Alfredo? <laughs> ironic, isn't it? I mean, we, we all do that. We can relate. But, well, twice, twice in my life. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, if there, obviously there, there are breakdowns between, you know, the, the image of the, you know, the vineyard and, and, and live people. But, but in the vineyard, the branches don't have anything to say to the gardener. The gardener does what the gardener wants to do. Because it's what is best for, for the, the production of fruit, you know? But yeah, we're there. We're there. Zach? Yeah, that word remained sort of <clears throat> stood out to me mm-hmm. last week. And it has to do with my will. If you remain in me, mm-hmm. he's talking about pruning. That's one thing. Yep. Then he comes along and says, there's a branch that hasn't remained in me and it's dead. It's thrown into the fire. Exactly. So I think there's a difference between the pruning of me if I remain in him. Okay, good. And me not remaining in him, dying and being thrown into the fire. Yes, yes. I, I think there's something we don't want to miss. Right? I think there is. I think there is. You're right. You're right. We'll, uh, we'll get at that. Rick? I think that um, I feel a lot of God has a plan. Yeah. And I think in, in that pruning and, and, and preparing us, uh, it, it's to accomplish that plan. <clears throat> Yes. And isn't it all about so often, Rick, trust? Trust, you know, to say, God has a plan and I trust. Ooh. You know? I'm 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 giving up control. Which I which I love. desperately want. I want to be able to love anyone's getting any great strength. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Big time. Doug, you were gonna make a comment. Okay. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right on. Yeah. 
Yes, precisely. And with that, we can all go home. No. But I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and the, it's, it's almost a ludicrous image to think in terms of the fruit bearing fruit for itself. You know, the branch bearing fruit for itself. No. It's, it's for the gardener. You know, it's, it's his vineyard. It's his fruit. What's the fruit he's looking for? Paul. But it really helps me understand what God means when he's working for my good. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. So good. So good, Lee. I think it it um, has to do with our, um, incorrect perception of reality. Okay. Um, what Alfredo was talking about was. This is my bad week. Uh, we always, you know, this is my garbage. Yes. Uh, it, it may be garbage, but it's my garbage. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I want that. Mm-hmm. And what Paul talks about in Philippians is that all of that stuff is not just garbage, but dung. Yeah. Compared to the surpassing knowledge of Christ. Right. And so the reality is real reality is that all of this is about the surpassing knowledge of God. Exactly. Exactly. And that it's all about the surpassing knowledge of God if you didn't hear that from Lee. And that's, that brings us back to what I think Jesus is driving at. Certainly what he lived his life for. Psalm 115.3 says, you ever, you ever heard this verse? <clears throat> Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Some of the other translations say this. Our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. Our God is in heaven and he does as he wishes. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he wants. Or we could put it this way. He is God and I am not. Yeah. You know, I I know I've probably told some of you this story years ago. Cameron and I were having a conversation about God and him being sovereign over the world and in control and... And Cameron said, I am so glad that it's not me. I would make such a bad God. <laughs> but it's true. We, we do make bad gods. And, and even though we know that God is on his throne, that he's in his heaven, that he is ruling, he does whatever it is that he wants. And we know that he's a good God. There are countless moments every day when, when we try to be God even without thinking about it. And I don't mean that we're trying to run the world. We know that we're not up to that, but we try to run our little portion of the world. We try to control the little slice where we live. And you know how we do that? Simply by living as if God is not a part of our everyday life. And that's what Jesus is driving at here. When the life of the vine is flowing into the branches, there's fruit. And when it's a, when it's a grape branch, the fruit is grapes. It, it, the, the life of the vine flows into the branch and it is there. It is there all the time. Day in and day out, we make decisions without considering Him. We have conversations without considering the presence of God in our lives. We, we act without considering God's presence. And yet He is the one who gives us life and breath every moment of every day. And yet much of our time and our activity is spent without a thought of Him and, and His role in our lives, that, that's playing God. 
And Jesus' point in this text is that that is grossly inconsistent with who followers of Jesus claim to be. If the branch is truly connected to the vine, then guess what? It's receiving life from the vine. And that life will be seen in the presence of fruit that is consistent with the vine. The life that flows out of Jesus, the vine, is a passion for his Father. And that is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Do we as branches produce in our lives, is it seen, is it evidenced, is it experienced by others, a passion for God? This is the fruit that the Father is looking for. Nothing less will do. He, he's God. He's creator. He's sustainer of all things. He deserves our highest praise and, and, our, and, and our attention every moment. And if the fruit does not exist, then the Father goes to work on the branch. It seems to me this is the bottom line of the Christian life. It's, as I said last week, it's not about the list of things that we do or don't do. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about avoidance of bad deeds. It's about our hearts. It's about our obsession. Who are we obsessed with? Who or what does our heart love the most? If it is not God, then my brothers and sisters, we are idolaters. In every sense of the word. If our obsession is God, then the fruit of our lives will demonstrate that because the life of Jesus will be flowing through us. Jesus was absolutely smitten with his father. Absolutely taken with his father. He loved and adored his father. And out of his life flowed the fruit of exaltation for his father. Above all else, he did a lot of wonderful things. But everything that he did was to bring attention to the character and the nature and the goodness of his father. So the $10,000 question for us is, how do we get there? Okay, you're there. How do I get there? So that's where we're going. How do we bear the fruit of passion and love for God? Here's the simple answer. We can't. It is, as Jill mentioned earlier, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, cultivating it. But I think there, there is something that we can do that puts us in a good place, puts us in a location where, if I can say it this way, we're, we're trying to stack the odds in our favor. You know, How do we put ourselves in a place where, where we are obviously surrendering to the work of the Spirit? In a simple phrase, it's this. Start and end with Jesus. I know that's deeply profound. Start and end with Jesus. Here's the reality. We hear the psalmist say, our God is in heaven and does whatever he wants. And there is something that sometimes, if we're honest, catches in our hearts. Sort of around some of the shadowy edges of, of our hearts, there are questions like, well, well is, that, is that fair that God gets to do whatever he wants? Well, yeah, he's God. Uh, he, but but he, he tells me that I can't do whatever I want. That Well, that's because he's God. You know, is he trustworthy? Can I have confidence in his character? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes there are images and revelations of God in the Old Testament that, that just kind of tug at my heart and make me wrestle a little bit. In his book entitled, Is God a Moral Monster? Paul Copen recalls the, the put-down of God by Richard Dawkins, who claimed that, that God breaks into a monumental rage whenever his chosen people flirted with a rival God. Oprah Winfrey saying that she was turned off to Christians when she heard a preacher affirm that God is jealous. Bill Maurer has said a similar thing, that, that being jealous about other gods is just not moral. These kinds of questions are not unique 
to those outside of the church. Those within the church wrestle with those questions. My brothers and sisters, if we cannot be enthusiastic about God and passionate about God, then how on earth can the fruit of love and passion for Him, exaltation of Him above all else, be shown in our lives? And once again, we start and we end with Jesus. Remember those precious words from Hebrews in the past. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. When questions and doubts arise, when the enemy wants to take circumstances and and cause question in our lives about the trustworthiness of God, the character of God, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Again and again and again. Start with Jesus and end with Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus. I want you to read something with me. I hope you don't mind laboring through a paragraph of some old, somewhat obtuse language. It's from 1,500 years ago in the life of the church. It was at a council called Chalcedon. There were approximately four major councils that shaped the church in its first 400 years or so. And uh, I want you to read these words with me. Uh, Words that that are laboring to describe Jesus. What was going on in the life of the church is those who were the defenders of the Orthodox faith were standing against those who were trying to make Jesus something other than what the writer of Hebrews has stated here in chapter 1. Let's read these words together. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. At once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. Truly God and truly man. Consisting also of a reasonable soul and body. Of one substance with the Father as regards His Godhead. And at the same time of one substance with us as regards His manhood. Like us in all respects apart from sin. As regards His Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages. But yet as regards His manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ." even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of Him, and our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. Do you just kind of go, whoa, this is important, which is exactly 
why so often the creeds were formulated to, to, to put in writing, this is what we believe. This is what God's people believe. This is what we believe about Jesus. Underlying all of those words is the firm belief that the writer of Hebrews really meant what he said. That Jesus really was the exact representation of God. 100% God and yet... In humanity, 100% and the source of our salvation. So how do we come to a place of having confidence and passion about who God is so that that fruit is what is made known in our lives? Two things about Jesus' life that I want you to take with you. And we'll be quick here. Just make a note of these. First of all, Jesus' teachings. These won't be anything profound. I, I want to do what I do best so that none of us does what we often do easily. And you know that I do best. I point out the obvious. And what we often do easily is we forget the familiar. So I'm going to point out the obvious so that we don't forget the familiar, okay? Jesus' teachings. We need to keep firmly in mind the whole scope of Jesus' teachings about his Father, about the kingdom, about life in the kingdom, the heart of his Father for people in the world. Again, Jesus is our default mode. And I, man, I've thought about this a lot this week. I've thought, I hope this isn't heresy. I don't think it is. You know, I go back to these creeds and I, and I go back to the faith that has been formulated through the ages. Jesus is our default mode. If the writer of Hebrews is correct about who Jesus is and 2,000 years of Orthodox Christian belief stands on that, then we can let the revelation of God in Jesus Christ trump some of those images that we sometimes struggle with or wrestle with concerning the nature of God. I didn't say them throw them out. I didn't say they're not important. It is all God's word. But when there are times when we struggle with some of the images and some of the revelations, some of the stories, come back to Jesus again and again and again because the writer of Hebrews says, you want to know who God is? Jesus is the clearest representation of his being. Again, I hope that's not heretical. But if we only make Jesus good for our salvation, then we will continue to live the kind of lives that we often do. You know, heaven is something that is secure and it'll happen someday, but following Jesus really has no impact upon our daily lives. I hope that doesn't sound harsh. That's why we've got to come back to Jesus again and again and again. Know Jesus, read Jesus, learn Jesus, memorize Jesus. It impacts our understanding of who God is, which ultimately will flow out of our lives. You know, if you're up for an assignment, you could read all four Gospels this week. 79 chapters in six days. That is 13 chapters per day, six and a half in the morning, six and a half at night. Of course, if you wanted to start today, then it's less each day. But imagine, if you read through all four Gospels this week, what a dose of Jesus that would be. Thus the point. Okay. Note the references that Jesus makes to his Father, how he describes his Father, the qualities and the character We've got to go back to Jesus. We've got to remember Jesus, his teachings, his life, the stories, the characterizations that he makes of God. And then second, we need to remember his mission. And I know this is a no-brainer, but, but tell me, why is it that Jesus came to earth? To seek and save the lost. Again and again, the scripture gives us a revelation of God who loved the world and lost people. 
so much so that he was willing to sacrifice his own dear son for their salvation. What's the first verse that that most of us heard when we were children in Sunday school and probably memorized? Yes, Monica, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Now, think back to those words of the psalmist. Our God is in heaven and does whatever he wants. Guess what? He didn't have to love the world, but he does. Because it flows out of his heart and the character of who he is. He rescues lost people. He pursues lost people. He restores them to the relationship that they were created for. He adopts them into his family. That's the God that Jesus was excited about. That's our God. That's our Father. Remember Ephesians 2, those ominous words. Before Jesus, we were by nature objects of wrath, but after Jesus, we were trophies of his grace. Those words aren't in Ephesians, but it's a paraphrase. Trophies of God's grace put on display for all to see and say, whoa, awesome God. Yes, exactly. The reality is sometimes we struggle with the idea of being by nature objects of wrath because because we're a pretty nice bunch of folks. Not really. The reality is that if we were nice folks, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. The character of God, holy, just, loving, forgiving. Let our image of who God is be fueled by the revelation of Jesus. Know Jesus. Remember his mission. Okay, praise team. Come on up and and lead us as we conclude this morning. Let me just read you a quick story as they come. Henry Nowen tells the story of of a family that he knew in Paraguay. The father was a doctor. He spoke out against the military regime there and and its human rights abuses. Local police took their revenge on him by arresting his teenage son and torturing him to death. Enraged townspeople wanted to turn the boy's funeral into a huge protest march, but the doctor chose another means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body as he found it in jail. Naked, scarred from the electric shocks and the cigarette burns and the beatings, all the villagers filed past the corpse, which lay not in a coffin, but on the blood-soaked mattress from the prison. It was the strongest protest imaginable, for it put injustice on grotesque display. Isn't that what God did? The cross that held Jesus' body, naked and, and marked with scars, exposed all the violence and the injustice in this world. The cross revealed what kind of a world we have and what kind of a God we have. Amen.